0: Welcome to Game of Books with Kathy in South Dakota.
1: That's me and Christy in South Florida.
0: That's me. We're
1: two newbie writers sharing our take on wine, food, and mystery books. And the authors who write them. Join us for the fun.
0: Hey, everyone. And hey, Kathy. Isn't
1: it exciting to be doing another Quarks in Conversation? Oh, I'm so excited today. I love doing these. I love talking to all these different authors. They each have their own... Really interesting, you know, um, background and their um, career success stories and how they approach their craft. Yeah, I'm totally in.
0: Yeah, I agree. And um, today's best-selling author gives us yet another perspective. Carlyn Norton um, started her path to mystery writing while working as an associate editor for Reader's Digest in Tokyo, Japan. And then from there, she became interested in an abduction case that took place near her hometown in California. I think we uh, mentioned the case on episode 11 when we did her book, The Edge of Normal. It was, um, I don't know if you remember, Kathy, The Girl in the Box, where the 20 year old woman was held for seven years, sometimes for months I in do. a box. Uh-
1: I do remember that it was it was haunting. I mean, it was really it was haunting to hear you talk about it.
0: Yeah. So anyway, um, I guess Carla was very interested in this too because she moved from an editor to a true crime author when she wrote a book about this case. Um, her book was called Perfect Victim, or is called Perfect Victim, and it became a number one New York Times bestseller and was selected by the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit for training. And then wow. um, I know, and then she went on to write other true crime book, um, "Disturbed Ground," about a seemingly sweet little old landlady who was actually a serial killer.
1: Yeah. See, now this is one of those things you that is just the most bizarre context <laughs> I can imagine. So I hey, got that's on my list too. I got to read that one.
0: Yeah. And um, and I am starting to think that she has a real interest in the dark and morbid side of human nature. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully for us uh, like-minded readers, we um, she carried that over to her fictional Reeve LeClaire series of novels, The Edge of Normal and What Doesn't Kill Her. And Carla, we are so happy you are able to share this time with us.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be sharing time and wine.
1: Yes. <laughs> All good. <laughs> yeah. All, all good. So Carla, I, it's such a pleasure to get to talk to you. Um, I'm, I'm talking to you from South Dakota. We know Christy is in South Florida. Do you mind sharing where you're talking to us from today? Uh, I'm also in Florida now, but I'm, uh,
2: I have been such a nomad in my life. I've lived a lot of places, mostly California. I was raised in California, but I have roots in New Mexico. I've lived in New York, Washington D.C., Tokyo, L.A., Seattle, San Francisco, and Santa Cruz—you know, some other places in between. I'm most, mostly <laughs> California, though. I call that home.
0: Oh, that's well, we quite were trying to figure out because um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm in Florida, but I don't recognize the three, two, one area code.
2: Oh, right. That's uh, actually uh, that's the Space Coast, and you know why they have that in the Space Coast? It's by Cape Canaveral. Uh-huh. Three, two, one. Live oh on. my goodness <laughs> that's the truth i'm not making that up. So. oh my gosh
0: that's
1: really
0: I, the, oh my gosh <laughs> that's a fun fact i never even knew and i just lived down the road wow
1: <laughs> well i'll tell you another quick fun fact christy is that okay. on carla's website if you read her bio mm-hmm. one of the things that i really stuck out to me was that she mentioned that you know she has lived many places. I had no idea. It was as as lengthy as a list you just gave us, Carla. But she mentions the difficulty, the real challenge in that is having a good, decent library when you move that often. And now I can see why. Yeah,
2: It has been really heartbreaking because I always thought, you know, when I was young and I envisioned myself as really old, like 21, (laughs) <laughs> um, I thought, or 33, I mean really ancient
1: Oh, decrepit <laughs>
2: Yeah, I know I always thought that I would have this fabulous library You know, the kind with the ladders so you could get way up to the top I mean, something uh-huh. like from uh, Downton Abbey Like that <laughs> 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 Um uh, but instead, every time I've moved, and I uh, I moved in a span of about um, three years, I moved eight times. Wow! And oh. I mean, and that was about ten years ago. So I have moved a lot, and every time, and I've moved across the Pacific Ocean four times. So hmm. when you do that, you by necessity have to get rid of things that you love, and so I'm always so envious when I go to other people's homes and they have floor-to-ceiling bookshelves, and just crammed and crammed with books.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I have library envy. <laughs> yes,
0: I can see that. I kind of feel the same way in my little condo. Anyway, so before we, you know, get started on the meat of the conversation, um, we do have a wine to talk about. And Carla, you just went above and beyond and actually picked out this under $20 bottle of wine for
1: us.
2: Right, and I have I had never drunk it until now, and I have to confess, I have just opened it and taken a sip. And it's called Once Upon a Vine, and that's why I chose it. And also because I'm partial to California wines.
1: Mm-hmm. And this
2: is the California Red, and um, it's a big, bad, red blend. And
1: it says, mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> afraid of a big, bad, a red blend right? Uh, mm-hmm. So we love that. And then it says, ripe berry, chocolate flavors meld into the aroma. So enticing. You might even say, my, what a big nose you have. <laughs> 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 That's so, awesome. Kind of, and it's got the wolf and the moon and this forest on the cover, you know, black and red, which is kind of my color theme with my books. And so...
0: Well, yeah. perfect. <laughs> perfect. I, and you know what? I just took a sip, too, and I can taste a little bit of berry and chocolate. And I'm so sad, though, Kathy. You don't get to taste it, do you?
1: I couldn't find it in my local store. Oh, and well, I, don't you have another I know one it, of wine you can have? I do. I have brought another one with me. But i <laughs> I'll tell you, I was so... I was so taken by your the, the one you chose and the label and it just looked so great that it's on my list so next time I travel I'm gonna pick it up somewhere. So great.
2: here's my contribution. Cheers. Cheers Cheers <laughs>
1: <laughs> So that's awesome. So so I was so sad that I couldn't find it, but I did find something that I think you guys should look for in your stores as well. Okay. Um, I picked a California red as well. Because mm-hmm. I know Carla said she would liked California Red, and I also am very partial to California Red. <laughs> <laughs> and so I picked uh, the Dreaming Tree wine. Oh, it the- Yeah, it's got a beautiful label. And I picked it um, actually because a friend had given me a bottle of it a few weeks ago. Um one of my uh, friends I went through yoga certification with and we were celebrating a little bit and she brought me this um, bottle of wine and I initially thought, oh, I've got to show this to Christy because it's just as a beautiful label and, mm-hmm. and it's a great bottle of red. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know is that it's got a really cool kind of story behind it. Um, it's co-owned by two guys. One is a uh, a winemaker from Australia. His name is um, Sean McKenzie. But the co-owner with him is Dave Matthews of the Dave Matthews Band. Oh, you're kidding. No. <laughs> like, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, that's what I thought. And yeah. it is a great wine.
0: All right. So, so we have two good a... wines. And how does it taste? Do. Is it?
1: Well, so my tasting notes are classic aromas of blackberry and plum wrapped in toasted caramel and dark chocolate, and mouth-filling tannins. It's an elegant and supple wine is the wow. description.
0: Well, that sounds it good is. to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is a whole meal. It's everything. <laughs> it's your salad through your dessert. But it is very drinkable. So that's so. cheers, ladies. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Okay. Huh. Now that we've had our sip of our wine, uh, let's get talking. Mm-hmm. and um, Let's talk crime. Can you um, tell us how you made the Uh, transition from an editor in Japan to a crime writer in California. I mean, because our listeners are pretty interested in the process and how we become published authors, basically.
2: And everyone has a different story. Um, Mine, I think, is unusual just because I was living in Japan. And (laughs) the Associated Press Wire Service started picking up these stories uh, out of Red Bluff, California, which is Uh, just a stone's throw from where I grew up in Northern California. And uh, when I first heard the stories that this woman claimed that she'd been kidnapped and held for seven years, most of the time in a box, and yet she had a job at the end and there's a wife involved, I just thought that can't be true. I don't believe that story. Mm -hmm. But there kept being more and more stories in um, the local English-language paper, the Japan Times, Uh, that carried the AP wire service. And um, so I was just really intrigued. And then when I it just happened that I'd planned a trip home and I learned more about the story, and I was so fascinated. It was one of those stories that you just have to keep asking questions about, Mm -hmm. about the mind control issues. At that time, I didn't know what Stockholm Syndrome was. Mm-hmm. Um, the slavery contract that she signed, the slave name that she took, um, oh. the role of the wife in the whole arrangement. It was just mind-boggling. So I <laughs> I did what you're not supposed to do, and I cold-called <laughs> an agent. I had a friend who would written a book, and I said, you know, Warren, who's your agent? And he told me his agent's name. So I cold-called the agent in New York, wow. and I told him the story, and he said, have you written any books before? And I said, Well, not exactly. I just <laughs> finished editing them the memoir. The agent who spied in Japan, um, and then defected. And then he, he he said, Well, you're you're living in Japan. I said, Yes.
1: And,
2: and he said, Well, okay. So what you need to do is quit your job with Reader's Digest, come back to the states, and cover the trial. And this is what you need to do. And he laid it out for me. I was telling a friend about this a while ago, and I said, if he'd blown me off, I probably wouldn't have pursued it. And she said, Carla, he, he was blowing you off. <laughs> People would not quit their jobs, right. come back to the stage, and sit through a trial with the possibility that maybe they could write a book. <laughs> um, but, of course, I didn't know what I was doing, so I just plowed right ahead. And uh, I thought the trial took forever. It was six weeks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, in retrospect, um, that wasn't so long with Disturbed Brown. The trial was a year, including during selection and then deliberations. So that was a much, much longer uh, and more involved case. Uh, But anyway, I I co-authored the book with uh, Christine McGuire, who prosecuted the case.
1: Mm -hmm. So how did you, can I ask, did you just approach the prosecutor during this um, like the pre-trial portion and, and, and tell her what you were doing? or uh, No,
2: what I did was, uh, actually, I went back to Japan after I called the uh, agent, and I ordered the preliminary hearing transcript. Mm-hmm. That was a really important document. So I had that, and um, from that I started working on kind of an outline Deciding how to lay out the story, and I realized at that point that it was going to—I ha- was going to have real problems with it because readers don't really want to spend seven and a half years in a box. <laughs>
0: right. No. I mean, no. it really is a horrible case. Yes. She
2: I mean, I can—I can tell you some details about her kidnapping and her captivity, which are really mind-boggling, absolutely terrifying. It's amazing, yeah. actually, that Colleen Stan survived. Um, right. I believe that this perpetrator murdered someone previously, but he's never been charged with that crime. In any case, um, then after the trial, once all the evidence had come up, um, then I, I talked to the prosecutor about uh, working on a book together. So mm. then it took me a while to actually get sample chapters written and a, a proper book proposal out. So, it, you know, it was a process. And luckily, I had a very good editor who, you know, kept me on task. And I was able to raise questions about the captivity that would then would be answered in the prosecution. And so I juxtaposed oh, wow. the chronology. Yeah, it was kind of an unusual structure. Usually, when you read through yeah. my books, they're more uh, straight chronology. But I, I didn't, I couldn't do that mm-hmm. with this book. Um, I did do that with disturbed ground because that's a much more uh, kind of straightforward story yeah. in some ways. Yeah,
1: I think it's so interesting that you got to have kind of a sounding board then back and forth with the prosecutor while the process is going on. That that sounds very like kind of a rare opportunity.
2: Yeah, I could clarify things with her that um, you know came up in court, uh, so that was that was helpful. When you start looking at the true crime genre, and, you know, I studied before I started the book, um, if you look at someone like Vincent Bugliosi, uh, he's a very well-known prosecutor. He wrote Helter Skelter with Kurt Gentry. Mm -hmm. He wrote several books with Kurt Gentry, which made me realize that, hmm, maybe Kurt Gentry is actually the writer here, Mm -hmm. and Vincent Bugliosi is the prosecutor, which is often the case. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some uh, people that have a background in law enforcement, and often the writers of true crimes are journalists. You know, they're reporters that covered the Mm -hmm. trial. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of unusual, actually, for someone to stay in the field indefinitely. Um, Anne Rule comes to mind. She wrote, I think, 30 or 40 books. She wrote so many books. She was a little dynamo rest result it was yeah. amazing
0: i was gonna say that kind of leads me to my question is how did you end up switching from true crime to writing f- not i mean i don't know you may go back to true crime but now you've written several um fictional crime thrillers and so you know how did that come about and did you have to find a whole new agent and a publisher and go through all all that or could you ride on the wave of your best-selling true crime
2: i have so glad you asked that because it's kind of, again you know it's not what you would expect i think so i wrote perfect victim and then i wrote disturbed ground um about the little old lady who murders her tenants <laughs> in the yard another extraordinary story but that took a very long time because there were changes of venue and all of that and um and i decided you know i'd, I'd really rather write fiction partly because it's easier frankly you don't have the risk of being sued and um, just the, the timeline constraints and all that. I thought, okay, I'm, I, write, I, I know how to write. I can write a novel. So I wrote a novel, and it was rejected, and I wrote another novel, and it was rejected. And after three, I thought, hmm, I'm. there's something I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And so um, eventually, when time allowed, when life turned to that corner, uh, I went back to school and I got my master's in fine arts at Goddard College, which was fabulous for me. I had amazing, amazing advisors. I, it was, you know, the light went on about all wow. the things that I was doing wrong. And <laughs> wonderful to be with a community of writers. Mm-hmm. And so, as part of that process, I wrote a fourth novel, which uh, when I, after I graduated, I looked at it again and realized what I would need to fix in order to make it truly publishable. And I said, I didn't love it that much. At the same time, uh, the JC Dugard case came about and I don't know oh. if you remember her, but yes,
0: yes. It
2: was the, she was, yeah, she was I think 11 when she was kidnapped in Tahoe and then she was, I think 20 something when she was, uh, rescued, uh, mid, mid or late twenties when she was rescued along with her two children um, in uh, somewhere in California, Antioch, I think. And um, anyway, so again, it was a man, his wife, uh, a teen. That's just crazy that to me. <laughs> yeah. And so I was interested in captives, and I started writing um, kind of an academic piece. And I wrote about 90 pages uh, comparing Cole Stan, J.C. Degarde, Elizabeth Smart, also kidnapped mm-hmm. my husband and wife, And then some Mm -hmm. references to Patty Hearst, who was abducted by a group of people to SLA. Mm -hmm. But it it wasn't really a story. It was more research. Mm -hmm. And so from that, I decided, you know, I really want to write a character who is not a victim of captivity, but a survivor of captivity who helps other survivors. And so that's how I came about with the idea for The Edge of Normal.
0: Oh, I love Reeve LeClaire. She's just so, she's Tough. got so much depth, you know. Well, I guess you wrote her with so much depth.
1: <laughs> I've seen Elizabeth Smart does some kind of, I don't know if it's a series on television, or I've seen her doing some things with with other survivors. And, and right away, I thought about your character, interestingly.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really great, but actually they do do that, Survivors of Kidnapping, do help each other, and I, I mean, who knows better than they, so, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, hooray for Elizabeth Smart, what a poised, and,
1: yeah, she's, she's just a heroine, I mean, I, I just think, I mean, it's a horrible small club to be, right, a member of, but she sure seems to be a wonderful leader of it at this point, Mm
0: mm-hmm, so, yeah, um, she is. Inspiring. Are you planning on writing any more um, in that series?
2: Well, uh, actually, I'm I'm stepping away from the series right now, and I am uh, eyeball deep in a spy novel.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> fun. okay. Yeah, it's now this. This goes back to your days in Japan, right? With the the key <laughs> the Russian spy you worked with.
2: Exactly. Yes. So <laughs> when I was living in Japan my ex-husband and I uh, belonged to the Foreign Correspondents Club, and we used to go there, and there were the Russian, or Soviet at that time, writers that were with various news services, and there were lots of rumors about who was a spy, and Mm, (laughs) uh, I'm sure some of them were, and then doing this uh, KGB memoir with Stanislav Levchenko, you know, it's always been kind of rattling around in the back of my brain, and so yeah, I'm almost finished with a spy novel, and I'm really looking forward
1: oh, exciting.
2: to it to to my agent.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, that sounds like something I want to read right now. I want to read that. <laughs> that sounds
0: so great. Do you, do you need some you. Um, beta readers or anything? Because we're, we're yes. up for it. <laughs> wow.
2: Oh, well, thank you for that offer. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I may take you up on that. You never know.
1: I love all the leaps of faith that have led you back to that in Japan, that experience in Japan. I mean, you know, talk about leap of faith doing many pieces of your career. That's really exciting. Yeah.
0: All right. So I think um, we need to take a, another sip of wine, and I think it's time for a yes. craft oh. question, don't you think, Kathy? I do. I do. Let me shake it up a little here. Okay. If you don't like the question, we can always pass on it. But these are just kind of fun questions. So, you know, our listeners can get to know you more. All right. Ready? Okay. So mm-hmm. this one says, oh, this is a good one. Which mystery or unsolved case would you like to know the truth about? Oh, This is like perfect uh, for her, isn't it? <laughs> the
2: assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, oh,
1: my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we, we yeah we think we know. Too. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's always been.
2: Yeah, that's the that's the first thing that comes to mind, and then the second would be the Zodiac killer. I read that book when I was living uh, in Northern California, very close to where he killed all those people, mm-hmm. and mm. uh, it even though it was like years and years afterwards, I went around, I locked, double checked <laughs> all my doors and windows, and uh, you know like kept all the lights
0: on i was it just freaked me out yeah and then here she is writing about it years later (laughs) (laughs) oh good yes i think those are great great answers
1: (laughs) okay so i i gotta tell you carla i i have about three minutes of experience in the world of um, prosecuting and and law enforcement and it was a long time she was a
0: prosecutor
1: yeah I was. And I wow. I just have the most utmost respect for the people I worked with um, on the prosecutorial side and law enforcement. And I was able to go to a really cool um, training ground for prosecutors that was nicknamed the Quantico for prosecutors, not Quantico. But it was kind of I think everyone really wanted to be, it. you know. With the FBI, because that's the coolest oh, thing. Oh, come
0: on, Kathy. So- you
1: know you're a secret uh, agent.
0: <laughs> How so interesting.
1: I heard I've your- never
2: heard of this before.
1: Yeah, you know, I am I honestly, honest to goodness, it was, um, oh, uh, 2000, uh, maybe 1999 or 2000, I got to go do this. I was a new prosecutor, and it was a... Um, training for prosecutors and I believe it was in South Carolina um on a very kind of secure uh grounds because you know who wouldn't like to know there are a bunch of prosecutors around (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh that sounds like a good setup for
0: another novel doesn't it
1: (laughs) yeah it was I learned I learned a lot and um Unfortunately, I uh, a life change and, and move uh, took me away from that work, and so, um, but I, I just I look back at those days very fondly, and so when I heard that your initial um, novel was utilized by the FBI behavioral science unit, I my I mean like, you know the hairs in the back of my neck stood up, and Christy had mentioned that she got to hear you speak about this at a lunch, and I'm wondering if you would be. Kind enough to share that experience with us about speaking at the lunch or about the behavioral sciences. (laughs) Well, both, but mostly the behavioral sciences. The behavioral (laughs) sciences. They don't.
0: Nobody wants to hear about about a bunch of mystery writers. (laughs) About
2: a bunch of well, yeah. Although I was talking to a friend recently, and she was saying no one ever talks about murder, and I said, Oh yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) We we talk about it all the time. Yeah.
1: um, Yeah,
2: it was very surprising to me. So apparently Roy Hazelwood uh, consulted on the case in some way, and he uh, was a trainer uh, at Quantico at the oh. PSU. And
1: okay.
2: so I, they don't actually even have that same unit anymore. So this is you know, quite a while ago. But he was the one that put it on his reading list for his classes while he was there. And uh, actually I confirmed that with him. Uh, before I published The Edge of Normal, because I just uh, I, I did a tour of the FBI office in Seattle, and um, they said, what do you mean it was on the reading list? Because it isn't anymore. It was then. And uh, so I, I confirmed it. I got a hold of Roy Hazelwood. And uh, he said, oh, yes, uh, you know, I put it on. And it's surprising to me because apparently there are some uh, criminology classes that use the book, as part of their curriculum. Because I'll sometimes see a, a review on Amazon or somewhere that says, um, I read this book because I took a class on criminal science. And so someone out there is assigning it, and it's never gone out of print. So wow. <laughs> I think that must be one. That's pretty
0: cool. I mean, really.
2: Yeah, it's it's actually, it's really nice when you meet someone and they say, oh, I read that, you know. Yeah. And so there's still you know, there's still interest. And even though, you know, it was a New York, it was a New York Times bestseller when it came out. Um, you know, you would think that, oh, well, you know, it's kind of passe at this point. But there are generations of people that don't know that case. And especially mm-hmm. now, it's like there's this resurgence in the interest in true crime, maybe because of podcasts.
1: Yeah, it could you be. I, 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 I don't have any basis to say this, but I. it seems to me that true crime is absolutely on the forefront where it hadn't been as much I don't think. Plus uh, we're finding although,
0: out more stuff, don't you think? I mean, like because of the way news travels so quickly we find out right away I mean maybe. Yeah, you know, yeah that, that's yeah.
2: one thing that you would think about true crime because you know, people can check and they can find out whether the person was prosecuted or not so it's mm-hmm. not a yeah. surprise So it really comes down to storytelling, you know, Mm -hmm. like any book. Mm -hmm. It's a question of how you present the information. So uh, think about the O.J. case. I mean, there were many, many books on that case, all of them different. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, you know, it's kind of daunting in a way because when you think about, oh, you know, should I write about this case? um, You really need, I think, a, a personal reason. You know, it has to interest you on some visceral level that, you know, you have to be invested in it because you really have to live with the story the whole time. And these are real people. You have to be considerate of their feelings. Um, you know, there are real losses involved. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as you know, Kathy, from having been a prosecutor, it's it's a quite serious matter to have a capital case brought to trial. And there oh, are a lot of Moving parts in that equation. And it's really kind of a privilege to be able to watch it all play out because it really, um, yeah. you know, on the one hand, you think, oh, this is a terrible system. And on the other hand, you think this is
1: the best system in the world. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing how well it works considering the, um, the faults that do exist because of human behavior, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think, too, you know, it's so, especially as true crime has become such a interest for people, um, you know, Carla, from being firsthand there, that, that it's, it, I think true crime some, can sometimes lose its, oh, I don't know, human touch sometimes, right, when we don't want to talk about it a lot, because there's a true victim here whose life was altered in a way that we can't even fathom. There is, um, yes, there
2: so. is that. And then, well, as I was talking about the in my talk, just as preparation, I was thinking about different subgenres. Because actually, I was Mm -hmm. at a writers conference recently, and they gave someone, some other people gave a talk on true crime, and they started off the panel discussion by denigrating the whole genre, saying how sensationalist it was, and I was like. I was looking around going, you know, is anybody else here a true crime writer? Because I just was on the edge of my seat. I wanted to argue. Were you
1: waving your arms? I was, yeah.
2: And so that's kind of why I started thinking about all the subgenres. I mean, there are historical true crimes, like um, The Devil in the White City. Mm -hmm. There are first-person true crimes, like uh, Louise Duncan's um, Who Killed My Daughter. There Mm -hmm. are uh, quirky true crimes, like uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, there are foreign true crimes, like The People Who Eat Darkness and The Monster of Florence. Uh mm-hmm. People Who Eat Darkness is set in Japan. The Monster of Florence is obviously Italy, written by Douglas Preston, who um, is usually a, a a novelist. So, I mean, there, there are many, many, many types of true crimes. And some of them, like Vincent Bugliosi's book, are kind of the classic, you know, there's a criminal case that he describes the characters and what happens. Uh, and then he talks about the, the prosecution or defense. And he's mm-hmm. done both.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, so all of them, they're they're really very different and very nuanced. And I, I kind of hate for people to just kind of write off a whole genre without really, it's kind of like saying, I don't
1: like fiction, or I don't like noir. Right. <laughs> well, you know, but right. that's what
0: people say. That's true.
1: <laughs> Unfair. So this is a question I'm curious about. You'd mentioned it earlier. So had when you got this inkling when you're in Japan and you saw this coming across the wire, had you been a true crime reader? I mean, had you, had you read Helter Skelter and that kind of thing before? Or was it just no, the case that got your interest? No, I, but I always wanted
2: to write. And while I was mm. working on the um, the memoir, I uh, the, it's called KGB no mita nihon, which means the KGB's view of <laughs> Japan. <laughs> and so, so he worked in Japan, and then he defected to the United States, and he wrote in horrible English. And so, I was his editor. Oh. Anyway. I rewrote and edited in English. And then that was translated into Japanese, so that's a quirky road. But um, <laughs> every time I would get a chapter, I would just be gnashing my teeth, thinking, if this guy can write a book, I can write a right. book. That's
1: yeah. right. If he's got a contract, get me one now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So I thought it's just tenacity. It's just hanging. You know, I was like, I, yeah. I always wanted, from the time I was seven, I
2: wanted to be a writer. So um, mm. when this case happened, and it was, you know pretty much right in my backyard I thought someone's gonna write about this and it could be me and so you know how do I live my with myself if I don't try
1: I mean Mm -hmm. I I fail but I need to at least try
0: yep so you you just
1: defeated the fear of failure which is so fantastic
0: yes definitely
1: okay so I am very excited I have to say, to read this new spy uh, novel you're going to be doing. I'm just putting this <laughs> out there right now. We're we'll we talking about this next year, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but Carla, we've been we're so happy you joined us today and are sharing a glass of wine with us. Yes. Uh, before we wrap up, we always have one final question um, that our mysterious foodies like to hear, and so mm-hmm. we asked all of our authors in our Quirks and Conversation series and I'm, I think you can include your new one in this if you want, but which of your characters would you like to share a meal with, and what would it be? Ooh. <laughs> well,
2: this is a character from my new novel.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and Wonderful. I, th- I think it would be Suzuki-san, mm-hmm. um, who is... A North Korean spy living as a Japanese woman in Japan.
0: Whoa, that sounds so Um, cool. What?
2: This is not at all far-fetched. I I went to Korea. I visited the DMZ. There are four tunnels underneath the DMZ, and the tour guide said, based on accounts of defectors, there are as many as 20. Um, Wow. And it's pretty common knowledge that in South Korea, certainly there are lots of North Korean spies. Mm-hmm. Um, in Japan, there's a very large Korean population. Um, and uh, it, when you start following the news, as I have for the past few years, you will see North Korean spies arrested all over the planet. So so it's not a stretch hmm. at all to um, have uh, Suzuki-san, who speaks fluent Japanese, and is based on a real person uh, who was a spy, North Korean spy, whose family, she was raised partly in Cuba. Wow. And um, yeah, as a child, her father was a diplomat, and then she went to spy school in North Korea, um, and then their their stories diverge. But anyway, Suzuki-san and I would definitely have sushi.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and lots of sake. I was going to bring sake, but then I thought, oh, it's you know easier to just get wine. But anyway, yeah.
1: cheers.
0: Uh,
2: okay, well, cheers. We're- yes. Oh, that wow. is
1: fantastic. That's the best answer ever. I'd love that. That just makes my day. I know. I know. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank can't you read. So much. Can't wait to Can read it. Me? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So oh, well, um, I can't wait for it to be out. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're definitely gonna have you um, on. We'll we'll get the book too because I've got your other books and I've enjoyed them. So I'm sure this is gonna be equally as good. Um, and just to recap for you mysterious foodies out there, we've been talking with Carla Norton and you can get her thrillers and true crime books on Amazon and we can put the links on our website and probably on your website too, right Carla?
2: Oh yes, just go to carlanorton.com and you can find the links there. I'll I'll let you know that Disturbed Ground is only available as an ebook now, but it's at of course, on uh, Kindle, also Barnes and Noble Nook, Kobo, and any other digital format. So, Great. Um, and all all of my books are so The Answer Normal, What Doesn't Kill Perfect Victim, Disturbed Ground, and To Be Announced.
1: Okay. <laughs> all right, and so let's uh, let's remind everybody what your um, uh, website was again. Is it CarlaNorton.com? dot com? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, and are you on social media, Carla?
2: Uh, Yes, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and you can find those links and on Goodreads also. You can find those links on my website. There are the little icons, you just click on the icons, and it'll take you
1: right there. All right, everybody, you can reach Carla very easily.
0: If you have any more questions, do so.
1: Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, do so.
0: Okay, and um and we'd also love to hear for you from you at Game of Books um and hear what you thought about Quirks and Conversations number nine with Carla Norton. <laughs> so let us know on Twitter or Facebook our handles at G O B Writers.
1: And if you like listening to today's um, conversation, Corks and Conversation, please be sure to subscribe to us. So you can download our upcoming Corks and Conversation with more published authors as well as our regular Game of Books episodes where you can get your food, wine, and mystery tips every Friday morning just in time for the weekend. This is Christy and Kathy saying thanks for listening. Bye, Bye, everybody. everybody.